Welcome to the Buick Outdoors Podcast. I'm your host, Sheldon Marion, and in this podcast, we dive deep into the outdoors. We discuss hunting and fishing techniques, give you tips and tricks, tell stories, and everything in between to help you enjoy the outdoors. Well, welcome back to another Buick Outdoors Podcast. I'm your host, Sheldon Marion, and today's podcast is brought to you by Black Widow Innovations Archery. They build quality broadheads designed by hunters for hunters and are tested by hunters. If you want a broadhead that's rock solid, flies straight and quiet, check out Black Widow Innovations on Instagram, Facebook, or at blackwidowinnovations.com. On this podcast, I want to talk about the management of wildlife in BC. Uh, over the last few years, the BC government has taken some pretty strange strep, uh, steps to managing our wildlife, and most times than not, they leave you with more questions than answers. Uh, lately, in the last few years, our whitetail, mule deer, and moose, their numbers have been just dramatically low, like just dive bombed to where it's hard to kind of keep your head held high. Same thing with the caribou, their numbers have come dramatically low. Uh, but the only thing that seems to be doing good is the elk population, and, and even then they're not really doing good, they are just been kind of steady. And I think that is partially due because with elk, they're just they're harder to hunt than most other animals there's a lot of people that do a lot of truck hunting and uh you can't really truck hunt elk there is some places that you can do it but for the most part you actually have to get out of the truck take a walk down the trail and you know actually hunt where a lot of people these days you know they're not willing to go more than five or ten feet from the truck i mean they'll pass up on a moose if they can't shoot it in the ditch and just drive the truck right up to it and uh, another issue with our wildlife too is the predators they have just skyrocketed over the last few years we have thousands of black bears probably hundreds of grizzlies coyotes and wolves are are exploding and then uh, even cougars are starting to thrive and move into areas where historically they've never really been cougars uh i know in my area around buick you might have seen one or two kind of a thing but lately you know i've seen there's one at the blueberry river one at the school here right in buick and just a couple weeks ago i seen one out uh where i hunt bears uh so yeah like our our ungulates like our moose deer elk caribou they've been kind of kind of put on the back burner i guess really and then with that it's allowing the predators to just explode and there've been no real regulations or laws put in place to protect our ungulates you know the stuff that actually matters and in turn, they're kind of protecting the predators almost. Uh, recently in BC, uh, the woodland caribou population has been pretty well the head of all news for uh, for wildlife. And their population has been declining uh, quite a bit in the recent years. Uh, 
And the government, they kind of blame that on all the wrong things. They, uh, they started up a caribou recovery plan. And with this plan, they, uh, they mapped out where all of these caribou herds are right from the Yukon border all the way south down to kind of the BC, Alberta, uh, Montana, and Idaho borders. So right from the top of the map that follows the mountains down to the Alberta border, and then it kind of cuts down a little bit to where, uh, to the, into the states. And I, I can't remember how many herds they say that there is, but there's a lot. So they made up a plan there to uh, recover the population, which is, you know, it is a good thing, but the way they went about it is just totally wrong. And uh, with this, they they kind of picked a team of professionals to kind of lead the charge on this. Uh, they got a bunch of people from the First Nations communities. They have liaisons, some industry leaders, uh, some biologists, and then government officials. Uh, but when you start to look into it, you you really quickly find out that they don't have a clue on what they're doing. Uh, the people that they don't have on this committee are the guides, the outfitters, uh, conservationists, and hunters, or just regular everyday woodsmen who actually are out in the field day in and day out, and they actually see what's going on. Instead, they have these uh, biologists and pretty well city folk that have never really spent time in the woods. So they kind of go off of whatever they read in books. And, uh, man, I don't know. I think a lot of these biology books and stuff are full of shit. And, man, I don't know. Maybe they need to rewrite them or something or actually sit down and talk to somebody like a guy and outfitter it's their job to know exactly where these animals are what they do how they live and really pinpoint the problem because right now all they're doing is saying that people are the problem that's it and that's all and uh, a part of their first plan for this caribou recovery is they were going to shut down pretty well all new industry uh, plans in this region and like I said it went from the Yukon border all the way south to where the United States border is so everything in that mountain range and it's huge if you look at a map it's a range that goes across the whole BC province so they wanted to shut down all new logging all new mining, all new oil and gas exploration, uh, any sort of pipeline that went through that area. And when you do that, you are going to just flatten the BC economy. Because it's one of those things where whether you like it or not, logging, oil and gas, and mining is what drives the BC economy. Sure, there is some tourism and a few other things like <laughs> but for the most part the the amount of money that comes from these industries is what drives our economy it's a hard pill to swallow for some people but it's the truth 
Uh, the second thing that they wanted to do was to restrict motorized vehicles in the area. And at first that was ATVs, side-by-sides, snowmobiles, cars, trucks, Jeeps, pretty well anything with a motor. And then recently for this 2020 to 22 regulations, it now includes electric bikes. And yeah, it it does make sense for some places because I know there's a lot of people that they'll go off trail and they'll start ripping and tearing and creating mud bogs and stuff. And that does have a bit of a negative effect on some areas. Uh, but their main concern was keeping vehicles away from the 1400 meter mark. So anything above 1400 meters, they want to completely close it down. There's no vehicles allowed in there whatsoever. And that was all year long. And again, it does sort of kind of make sense for kind of summer and beginning of fall. But in the spring, everything is down in the lower elevations, in the meadows and stuff. That's their cabin grounds. Because up in the higher elevations, up in the alpine, there's still a lot of snow. They can't get to it. Their food's all covered up. So everything can be staying down in the lower elevations where they can eat calve and then in about this time around july the snow was pretty well cleared up they can finally move back up into the higher alpine away from predators and that's when they start their grazing and once they start doing their grazing they're there until maybe september early october because then it starts to snow and once it starts to snow these animals, they're not dumb. They lived out there their entire lives. They know that as soon as that first snowfall hits, you give it another month or two, and there's going to be a whole hell of a lot more snow up there. There's going to be, you know, a couple of feet by about October. In November, there's definitely, you know, probably about four feet of snow, and it's real hard, crusty. They can't dig down into the into the grasses. And the willows and stuff. And then in the winter. Man there's. There's 20 to 30 feet of snow up there. You get hurricane force winds. Uh, it gets to be like. Minus 40 in some areas. There's no cover. So with that being said. Come October. Everything starts to kind of. Move back down into the meadows. For the wintering grounds. But with this rule. You are not allowed to go above 1,400 meters in most areas in the winter. So even though there's no animals up top in the alpine, if I take my sled in there in February, when you're sliding on top of trees that are 30 feet tall, it is illegal. If you get caught up there, you can face anywhere from a $100,000 to $250,000 fine and up to a year in jail or both and that is for sledding in an area where there's no animals and they they do kind of worry about you know messing up the the ecosystem up top there too but man i'm telling you when it's the dead of winter and you're up there the only thing that you're going to hit is the top of a 30 foot spruce tree and it's it's crazy to think that they don't allow you up there, but 
they go below 1400 meters you can go in there all you want that's perfectly fine because the animals live 1400 meters and up well if you're paying attention what i just said is in the winter everything comes down the mountain into these meadows where they winter that's where they live during the winter because they instead of having to dig through 20 feet of snow or chewing on the spruce bark or spruce needles for food they can actually eat the willows and the willow bark and stuff in these lower elevations but nobody uh nobody on the government side of things will actually sit down and listen to you they have their kind of one track mind and you know they read a book sometime during their biology class that said nope this is how it is and that's just how they think they don't ever talk to any con uh, conservationists or hunters or guides and outfitters where especially guide and outfitters like it is their job their livelihood depends on knowing where animals are at all times of year because they they pretty well study them every year because in the fall time when hunters come up if a hunter is paying fifteen thousand dollars to shoot a moose you better get them a moose otherwise they're gonna be some pretty pissed off customers and they are not gonna be coming back and that is bad for business uh and another thing that they don't take into uh, consideration too is the amount of deaths that are caused by predators i think being a human we're an easy target it's way easier to take your finger point at somebody and say hey it's that guy's fault blame him he has a helmet on and he rides a snowmobile it's that guy's fault or this guy over here he has a side by side it's his fault grizzlies and wolves you don't really see them if you turn your back to them they kind of disappear it's pretty hard to put the blame on them but if you actually know a little bit about the outdoors then you already know that the grizzlies and the wolves are the main problem for the decline in these caribou and uh, part of the issue though too is as a hunter as a conservationist as somebody who actually gives a shit we don't have a loud enough voice if there's a hundred hunters that go out with their little signs and protests and say, hey, you dumbasses, these grizzlies and these wolves are the problem. They're not going to listen to you because there'll be a hundred thousand people down in wherever. Vancouver, hate to pick on Vancouver people. But there'll be a hundred thousand people saying, hey, grizzly bears are cute and cuddly. Wolves are just like big dogs. They don't do any harm. They're just Winnie the Pooh. He eats honey, he eats berries, and he leaves everything alone. Where the rest of us actually know that that's not the truth. And the problem with that is in BC especially, their voice was so loud that the BC government completely canceled all grizzly bear hunting across the province. This is not based on science. They didn't say, hey, you know what? There's a limited amount of grizzlies. We keep hunting them. Their numbers are declining. It was none of that. There was just enough people 
with a loud voice and a cardboard sign that shut down the grizzly bear hunts. And as bad as that is already just for the animal population, if you think about the guy and outfitters, say a guide has a grizzly bear hunt and it's $20,000. You pre-book in advance for two, three, four years. So if he has 10 clients all booking at 20000 bucks each for these grizzly bears, and when they take that many out, they still don't make a dent in them, that guy now has to reimburse every single person that booked those hunts. You want to talk about completely destroying somebody's business, make them pay back hundreds of thousands of dollars. A lot of these, uh, a lot of these guys too that have been making all these stupid new rules and and protesting and all that stuff. They kind of have it in their mind that because they haven't seen a grizzly bear or they haven't seen a wolf means that there's none there. And I'm sure I don't have to tell you this, but the amount of time that I've spent in the woods and the amount of grizzlies and wolves I've seen have actually, you know, honestly been very slim. But you see their tracks all over the place. They are definitely here you you find their kills you find their dens their tracks just because you don't physically see them doesn't mean they're not there they don't want to be seen there's there's areas where i probably won't go back to because you know i was, I was bow hunting elk in the one spot and it was fine and dandy for the first two days or three days wherever it was but on day number four, I went in there and I started calling elk and had a bull. He was way out on the other side of the creek, kind of over the hill. And he was bugling at me and he was slowly coming my way. But at the same time, he was coming this way over the hill. There was a grizzly moving his way up the creek. Well, he got within about probably 40 yards from me. The grizzly, not the elk, the grizzly, because he thought I was another elk. Well, the wind shifted just a little bit and blew right towards him. He figured, well, shit, that's a human. That bear got so mad, he stood up on his hind legs. And when he came down, he was sitting there and he was swatting the ground with his front paws. Well, he wasn't swatting, he was pounding on the ground. The first time he did that, it was a wake-up call. The second time he did that, he was close. There was me, a trail, willows, him. The third time, it was me trail him. And when he did it the third time, when he hit that ground, the the ground shook underneath my feet. And I tell you, nothing scares me in the bush. At that point in time, I was scared shitless. I haven't gone back there. And that's because there are so many grizzlies in that one particular area that man they start getting aggressive and when you have a stick and a string you really don't want to be messing with the grizzly bear and then with grizzlies too is they're so territorial once is a boar's kind of mature age he chases off every other boar out there and then at times if another one comes in if there's two grizzlies in an area they're pretty well they're chasing everything out the elk, sheep, caribou, goat, 
moose, whatever's there, you know, they're not dumb. They know that there's a bear in there. You can they can smell them, whatever. They get the hell out of the country. Now those grizzlies they start getting hungry. And the problem with that is if there's two bears in one area, that means there's probably two in this area that chased that third one out. So he came into this one. Well, this guy he can't go over here because there's another one or two over here. So now you're getting these secluded groups of pissed off bears. You know there was a woman up in uh, in the Yukon. I think it was last year two years ago she was in her cabin with her baby and they both got killed by a grizzly there was a guy up by Hudson Hope on Butler Ridge he got mauled by a grizzly then there was this grizzly that I called in while I was elk hunting you know it, it's getting bad to the point where I don't bow hunt elk for the simple fact that there is just way too many grizzlies in this area I've called in Way more wolves and way more grizzlies that have elk. And I've called in quite a few elk. But wolves and grizzlies, man. Last year, took my neighbor out on an elk hunt. It was her first year hunting. She wanted to pretty well get anything. I said, well, we haven't had luck hunting moose. So let's go and see if we can call in an elk. I ended up getting a pack of wolves surrounding us to the point where she was just, she was shaking up, almost crying, because those, <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny, because I'm kind of getting used to wolves being surrounded now, but she, she was not having fun, she was ready to get the hell out of there, and it, by the time I said, okay, yeah, let's pack it up, and let's slowly walk out of here, they got even closer, and it was to the point where I loaded my gun, I looked at her, and I told her, load your gun. If something comes running at you, shoot for fur and keep shooting till it stops moving. Because there was, <laughs> there was a lot of wolves around us. I don't know how many, but oh man, it was it was pretty cool for me. But it scared the shit out of her. Uh, black bears—they've also been uh, on the steady increase too in population. In the springtime around here, there's really not a road that you can drive down that has green grass growing on it where you won't find a bear. Uh, and the the BC government, they kind of change regulations up to help. But in the long run, it, it's not going to do anything. The only thing that they did was they extended the season by uh, two weeks. So instead of the season running from April 1st to June 15th, it now runs from April 1st to June 30th. And really, it ain't going to do much. Especially for the amount of people that are hunters but don't hunt bears. What they should have done was increase the limit from 2 to 4. Or at least 3. Uh, when I first started hunting bears about 8 years ago, there was me and I think I knew one maybe two other people that hunted bears and now because i've been advocating it so much and i'll shoot a bear and i'll turn them into pepperoni or sausage or whatever or roast and i'll cook it up for somebody and i'll bring it to them and here try this and they they start eating and like hey this is pretty good what is this moose or something no this here is black bear and it really changed a lot of people's perspective on bears to the point where I've gotten quite a few people 
uh, interested in hunting bears now, which is a damn good thing because they definitely need to be uh, thinned out. And then uh, I ended up telling people pretty well where my secret bear hunting spot was. You know, everybody has their their little secret spot, but for me, I already like within the first two years, I already noticed the the bears were coming up. And all of a sudden, there's no moose. There's no moose tracks other than the odd one. There used to be deer in the area. There's absolutely no deer. So I started telling people, hey, you know what? Try going hunting over here. Go to this kilometer on this road and look down this pipeline or wait till about the end of May, beginning of June when the dandelions start to grow. Just hit this little straight stretch. Just sit there and wait like it there's so many bears in this one area i told one guy bring a lawn chair and a cooler of beer sit on top of the hill and pick the bear you want and shoot him when the second one comes out shoot him too because i guarantee you there's gonna be two bears that son of a bitch down here <laughs> pretty well did that he went out got a bear on his way out shot another one but uh yeah that was i started doing that about I don't know, maybe two or three years after I hunted this one area. And now this year, uh, I went back in there and we still got a, a pile of bears. I got two bears. My girlfriend got a bear. Uh, my dad got two bear. And then my stepmom got a bear. So the the bear population is still very healthy. But also seeing a huge increase in the moose and deer population uh there used to always be mule deer in there when i first started going and then they just dropped right off but now i think i've seen six or seven mule deer which doesn't sound like much but for the last six years i didn't even see a track and then for moose i think i seen eight or nine moose in there which is just amazing because before i'd go in there for a week and you might see one and then i I was really surprised when I started seeing elk in there too. And it's a spot where elk really shouldn't be. So I don't know if the elk are just getting pushed in there because there's wolves over in the other area. I don't want to say exactly too much detail. You know, I've given enough people the uh, the spot for my secret spot. So I don't want to be blabber on too much about it. But yeah, I don't know. And then even the wolves in that area, there's... There is quite a bit of wolves, but they kind of keep to the to the east a little bit through the swamps and across the river and stuff. Uh, but speaking about wolves, they're another thing that's been just booming lately. Uh, you know, when I was when I was a kid, well, even up to like ten years ago, a big pack of wolves was kind of six to eight wolves. And even then, like, that's a pretty healthy pack. They don't have to kill a lot to to feed everyone. There's, they're not, they're not overpopulated. So there's no diseases running through them and, and things like that. But now, if you ran into a pack of six wolves, it's, it's almost strange. It's almost like, where's the rest? Because now, typically, if you run into a pack of wolves, there's at least 10 or more, uh, I used to work over in the Graham and Halfway River area, and over there, there's a pack where there's got to be 20, maybe 25 wolves in that pack, 
and it's man that is huge that is just bad bad like that is as bad as it gets and especially because wolves no matter what you read a lot of the times they just kind of fill your head with a bunch of bullshit really because wolves they don't just kill the the old and the weak and they don't just hunt something down when they're hungry i've always said a wolf it's kind of you almost have to compare it to like a a ufc fighter kind of thing you know a guy in the ufc he doesn't sit on his couch and wait for his agent to call and say hey be ready in three or four days you have a fight in vegas you know as soon as he's done one fight as soon as he's back home he's back in the gym he's training He's sparring. He is making sure that when it comes time to fight, when it's actually worth his time, worth his while, that he needs to be as close to perfect as he can get. And that's what wolves do too. You know, when it's time to eat, they don't want to be screwing up. When they're hungry, they don't want to mess up and not get their supper, right? So a lot of times, wolves, they'll do like, practice killing basically they get their pack together they see a moose or a deer or whatever walking down a road or a trail and they just want to kind of pretty well dial in their skills on how to kill it quickly and efficiently so in that way when it is time for them to eat they go well let's just do what we trained here and they just go in and kill and they get their food but in the meantime you know, they've probably killed five or six moose that they left. And, you know, it'd, it'd be all right for the weasels, martin, and coyotes. You know, the, the scavengers and ravens and crows and <laughs> whatever else. But that misconception that wolves only kill the sick and the weak is the furthest from the truth. And then what ends up happening, too, is while they're doing all this practice killing, they kind of run out of things to kill to eat. And I've seen it even in areas around my place where wolves, they'll start going after rabbits. And if you if you kind of have half a brain, it doesn't take long to figure out that the amount of energy that they spend to kill that rabbit compared to the amount of energy that they get out of eating it automatically puts them into a negative and with wolves like you know they don't have predators that really go after them the only thing that really kills wolves or other wolves uh humans starvation or disease and diseases is like mange where their hair falls off and they slowly freeze to death in the winter and uh there's you know there's a lot of public people and animal rights that they start saying, well, you know, you should just let nature take its toll. But whoever says that has absolutely no respect whatsoever for animals. And they have no clue what actually happens in the real world. Because I've seen what happens when nature takes its toll. It is the slowest, most painfulest death. I wouldn't wish that upon my worst enemy. You know, it, whether it's starvation wolf with mange something that got kind of hit by a car and it's broke its back and one thing with a pack of wolves is if one is injured 
they don't it's not what they tell you in magazines or whatever if there's one that's injured they leave them it you know what you're weak you can't keep up too bad for you and they'll just walk away from it or they'll sit there and they'll chew it up they'll rip them apart so until he slowly bleeds to death or whatever right and it is a very slow and painful death so when they say oh you shouldn't trap them you shouldn't hunt them those people are just uh, they got their head so far up their ass they don't know anything what they're talking about you know getting shot or getting trapped is by far one of the absolute best ways to die in the bush you know lots of people they don't want to hear that because they don't want to face the truth but really if i snare a wolf that cable goes underneath their jaw where it kind of hits their chest it slides up connects to their jaw and when you're setting it properly it runs up their jawbone, gets between their ears and when it tightens up it blocks the clotted artery which is your main artery that goes up both sides of your neck it cuts off the blood supply to the brain they're knocked out within 10 minutes they're dead within two minutes they don't feel a thing when i shot wolves there with the 7mm or the 300 hell i think i smacked them with the 17 hmr ones too it's lights out you pull the trigger and he went Bruh. that was it just flatten them like a pancake could you imagine dying that way close your eyes blink right <laughs> no pain no suffering nothing now imagine being buck-ass naked running around when it's minus 30 kind of like a wolf is with mange no fur now walk around and trying to survive fight for your life for about a week or two and just trying to stay alive i'd much rather get shot but i think that's that's enough of the the wolf talk here maybe let's change them change some things up and let's talk about the deer population that's going on around here uh you know for the longest time to shoot a mule deer it had to be a four point buck so in canada we we count them a lot different than in the states in the states a four point buck could be whatever you count both sides it adds up to four that's a four point in canada we only count one side so if you see if you say yeah i got a, a four by four that means four on one side four on the other four by four so with the mule deer it had to be four points on one side and with mule deer you can't count the brow tines or the eye guards whatever you want to call it there and uh there was no doe season and man the mule deer thrived because for a mule deer to be a four point or bigger it's going to be an older mature buck he's already bred a bunch of does in his lifetime and when you take out a four point or bigger you're pretty well doing doing good because there's a lot of old mature deer that they'll still fight they'll still have their little group of does but they're so old that they can't breed so when you take out them older ones you let the younger ones come in and breed you repopulate great system uh for whitetail uh it was a few years ago now but it was the same thing it had to be a four point uh, but with whitetail, you can count the eye guards with brow tines. We call them brow tines up here. 
there was no doe season. And another thing that they had was if you shot a whitetail buck, you had to wait two years before you could buy another whitetail tag. And that system worked just flawlessly. It was great. There was whitetails all over the place. There was mule deer all over the place. There's no doe season for whitetails. Uh, but what ended up happening is we had a couple of kind of harsh winters up here. And the mule deer started to decline after that. So instead of putting them kind of on like a limited entry draw, what they ended up doing was they opened up a three-point mule deer season. So now instead of having a big old mature four-point, you could shoot a mule deer with only three points. And around here there was quite a few three-point mule deer that were old mature bucks which was kind of good but at the same time it was really bad too because with the four points kind of like the older four points they kind of died off then you're left with a lot of the these younger immature deer but once that three-point season opened up the younger mature deer they didn't get the chance to breed. They were all shot. So now you have these little tiny dink two-point or two-by-three mule deer trying to breed. And I mean, like, really? That's like a teenager at a prom. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing. So the does, they just weren't getting bred. And all this did was kill off a ton of deer. And that was, that was really bad. For the mule deer but it was almost too good for the whitetail because whitetail and mule deer they don't really co-mingle all that much so once is the pressure from the mule deer was off of the whitetail the whitetail moved into a lot more country and uh, their numbers pretty well started to explode which was it that's usually not a not a good thing because that's when you start to run into overpopulation they run out of food diseases start to happen so they eliminated the two-year rule it was four point whitetail every year you could now shoot a whitetail doe and that was good for the first couple of years you never you didn't really see a decline in whitetail you see in a nice flat kind of number in their population but then they slowly started to come down and for some reason, they figured that their numbers were still booming. So then they went, scrap four point, it's any buck. And now you could shoot two deer. So, well, they, the way that they worded it was pretty confusing for some people. You're allowed two deer. One could be a mule deer, one could be a whitetail, or you get two whitetails. If you shot two whitetails, one had to be a buck, one had to be a doe. If you shot mule deer buck, you could still shoot a whitetail doe or a whitetail buck. But then what they also did with the whitetails, when they opened it up to any buck, a lot of deer around here, if you could be driving out in the middle of a field, you see a deer, you stop, you pull up your binoculars, deer kind of curious, they stand there for a little bit, they kind of figure out what you are, then they run off. So when you had to count points, there was a lot of legal deer that took off. Where now, with any buck season, you see a deer out into the field, you don't stop, you don't grab your binoculars, 
If you see it has horns, you stop, grab a gun, boom. Deer doesn't have a chance to run. A lot of deer got shot. And then the <laughs> it whitetail season was always November 1st to November 30th. But after opening up these new seasons, watching the population pretty well steadily decline very sharply, then they ex- it, they extended the season. So instead of being November 1st to November 30th, they changed it from September 10th to November 30th. That's two and a half months. Two and a half months of any whitetail buck. They did not stand a chance. So even even today, like this fall, I was really hoping that they would have changed the regulations for the 2020 to 2022, but it's still the same. Yeah, I can go out, shoot a any whitetail buck from September till November. I can still shoot a whitetail doe. For me, it it doesn't make any sense. Uh, but the only thing that they have done, which is good, is recently the mule deer regulations have changed a little bit. Uh, there's no longer a doe season, and the mule deer have to be a four point. Uh, unfortunately, the damage is has been done. It it's going to take years for the population to come back, uh, especially with these you know so-called hunters that shoot anything that's legal. There's a lot of guys where, as long as regulations say it's okay, they don't give a shit. Like these whitetail bucks, I've made it my own rule where if it doesn't have four points, I'm not shooting them. Where I could pass up a deer, the guy behind me, he could drive up. Okay, hey. There's a whitetail buck, get out, and boom, deer's dead. Well, now he's not going to be populating. There's not going to be any increase in population. But what can you do? Perfectly legal. He's in the right to do that. The only thing I can do is complain and bitch about it, which is pretty well what I'm doing right now. (laughs) But it's frustrating, though, too, because those are the guys that are usually the first ones to complain about there not being anything to hunt, when really they've been shooting themselves in the foot. But, yeah, as long as it's legal, people are going to do it. People can't govern govern themselves and make their own rules or whatever, but, oh, well, I guess. Uh, the moose is another unfortunate case of mismanagement in the area. Uh, the moose, they used to thrive out here, uh, but recently within the last, you know, again, last 10 years or so, the increase in logging made it extremely easy for the wolves just to look across the valley. You can see three or four moose, they get pinpointed, they just run in a straight line after them. Uh, government, they haven't really been changing regulations much, and people accidentally shooting moose uh, that isn't legal when you have to count the points and I'll get into that here in just a little bit <clears throat> but uh, you know with the increase in logging it would be nice to see some uh, kind of law changes or regulation changes in the logging industry where if they made it where every so many hundreds of yards whatever they had to leave 
you know, a strip of trees that were even 10 yards wide kind of a thing just to break up the the visual for a wolf would probably help out quite a bit and that would be a, a it's a real simple change for a for a solution but I don't know how that would work for for the logging and stuff like I'm not a logger myself I don't know the the rules and laws and you know all that crap you know that that's out of my expertise so who knows maybe it's just not uh not feasible for them and then after all you know we do have to work together with with industries and stuff you know it's it's not just land for one purpose you know people have jobs they have families to feed so you know you can't really blame loggers for making a paycheck right as for uh regulation changes uh as soon as the moose population started to come down, they should have canceled the any bull season. So in in August, we have a season that goes from August 15th to the 31st, or we used to. They've finally changed that slightly where you can shoot any bull moose. It doesn't matter if the horns are 4 inches or 50 inch wide. If it has horn, shoot it. Uh, a couple years ago, they changed it where instead of opening August 15th, it opens up August 23rd. Not much of a change. It's one week less that you get to hunt bull moose. I personally think they should have completely scrapped that or they should have made that like a archery and black powder season only. And then in September, you have to start counting points on a moose. So with the point system, it needs to be a two-point bull. So on one side, it needs to have just two points. If it has one point, it's legal. Two points, legal. If it has a third, can't shoot it. Illegal. Or it has to have three points on the brow tine or ten points on one side, including brow tines. And then another hunt that uh, some people actually didn't even really know about was the uh, limited entry draw for youth. And that one, it ran from August till October. So August 15th till the end of October. And with that one, it was for youth that wanted to shoot a calf moose. And every year, they issued 140 tags for that in the Peace region. And recently, and we'll touch a little bit more about it, they increased that from 140 to I think it was 160 and if you ever seen a moose in August you'll know that they're about the size of a deer it's a complete waste of an animal in my opinion anyways because especially after you're done butchering it and stuff jeez, you're gonna shoot a calf moose for about 70 pounds of meat and to top that off when they're that young, if you shoot a calf moose, the chances that you're going to have to shoot that cow are pretty high because she's not going to walk away. She's going to be right <laughs> she's going to be right there. Her ears going to be pinned back, she can put her head down, she's going to charge you. What a way to start a youth in the hunting. Shoot that calf right on. It's mom's pissed, it's charging us. Shoot that cow too. 
what a way to set them up, eh? And like I mentioned before there too, uh, once you get the count points on a moose, that runs from September 1st to the end of October, uh, with the exception of some areas closed for the first two weeks in October, uh, just for the rut. And for the most part, it is a good thing to have. There's a lot of moose that go without being shot, but there's also a lot of moose that get shot and they get left. Because with the two points, you know, you would think for the size that a moose is, the size of their horns and stuff, they'd be extremely easy to count their points, but they're not. The moose are constantly moving, constantly turning their head or their heads are in willows. You know, I've <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing. I looked at a moose one day and I thought he had about five or six points, so I couldn't shoot him anyways. Then he took a couple of steps. Turns out it was a goddamn cow. But the way that the willows were, man, it looked like a set of rack. It looked like he had horns. I could not believe it. Like, And I was looking through him with binoculars. <laughs> but I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where. You know, a lot of accidents happen. You see a lot of moose where it looks like a perfect two-by-two, and I've almost squeezed the trigger on one until he turned his head slightly, and I've seen that on both sides. He had about an inch, inch-and-a-half point on both sides, so he was a perfectly groomed three-by-three three moose. Definitely not two. I'm glad I didn't shoot that one because that would have been another little oopsie-daisy along, along with everybody else right and then uh, the points on the brow tine too again several times you're sitting there you're counting points on a moose he has two and then he kind of turns his head nope he has three maybe we should shoot him they turns his head again well no maybe maybe not maybe he only has two and you're sitting there you're kind of hemming and hawing you can't quite figure it out and then uh Eventually, he kind of gets tired of you and starts walking away. And you'll turn or whatever you get a glimpse of what you're actually looking at. And one, his first point on his palm was actually kind of like a drop point. So he had two coming off of his brow tine. His palm is sitting over here. And he had one little point that came up. And it looked like a perfect three of the brown brow tine there. And I don't know how many times I've seen a moose shot and left because... He had two points of the brow tine. And these days, too, the amount of trouble that a guy gets in for accidentally shooting something, like, I will never tell somebody to leave an animal that they accidentally shot in the bush. But when people do do it, I can almost see why. You know, little simple mistakes happen you know, I seen a cow moose, I thought it was a bull. I didn't shoot it, but like, you know, there's little things like that where just things play tricks on you. And, you know, there's a lot, several times where you run up on a moose, you see it's dead, you look at the horns, oh yeah, I see why it's sitting here dead. It had nine points instead of ten, or it had a little kicker come out the bottom of its palm, made the brow tines look like it had three points. And I'm pretty sure back in the day, you know, if you if you messed up, you call up the COs, you tell them your story, you tell them what happened. 
They'd say, okay, well, cut your tag, take it home. Next year, don't hunt moose. Good luck two years from now. Where now, they'll say, okay, well, where are you? We're going to come out and investigate. And then they treat you like a criminal. Where they'll take your gun, they give you a big fine. They might take your truck. They might make it so you can't hunt for five years. All because you made like an honest mistake and you pretty well called in yourself and said, hey, you know what, this is the story, this is what happened. Sorry about that, I don't want to be getting pulled over and getting too much shit for this. Like it, honest mistake. And they really target those people probably because it's easy policing. You either go out and you look for somebody or you wait for somebody to call themselves in. The people that they should be going after are the people that are out shooting cows in the any bull season. There's a lot of people where that first two weeks of August, now first one week of August, they see a moose, they get out, they pull the trigger. They don't know if it's a cow, bull, whatever. In their mind, there's a 50% chance it's a bull. Lots of times it's a cow. And then they get left. Which is just complete bullshit. But, uh, you know, it happens, I guess. But Oh, yeah, it's another thing that, you know, there's nothing that I can really do about it other than bitch and complain like I'm doing now. And unfortunately, you have to listen to it. <laughs> and, you know, you think with all this being said about the moose that the government would have some sense in their head to change up the regulations to help increase the population. Uh, but they're kind of doing the opposite now. They're definitely making things worse. And this is where we kind of get back into that caribou recovery program. Uh, what they're wanting to do is they're, they're blaming a lot of the caribou decline on wolves which is exactly what's happening but instead of taking care of the problem saying hey look we need to take care of these wolves instead what they're saying is we need to kill more moose because in their mind that wolves eat moose which okay that's true wolves do eat moose wolves do also eat caribou but they don't, they don't mention that part in their plan. They just say wolves eat moose. So now their their way of thinking is if you kill more moose, the wolves will disappear. Well, that's not how this works. If there's no moose, the wolves will then go after the elk or the caribou or whatever's in the area. They're not picky. Wolves eat meat. So then what they end up doing... With that uh, youth calf draw that I was talking about, they increased it from 140 to, I think, 160 tags, maybe even more. I'm, I can't quite remember, but I know for sure that they increased the tags by a lot. So now with that, you know, less moose, less moose the wolves won't be able to eat, and uh, in their words, they'll go away, they'll disappear. When in reality, they'll either starve to death, which is a very, very slow and painful death, or they'll just go elsewhere for food, whether 
around here, I mean, they're not going to go after caribou here. They're going to be coming closer into communities. They're going to be going after cows, calves, somebody's bull, horses, the family dog, whatever. It's just going to create more and more problems. And, you know, all of this is just coming from me. I am just a simple dude. I live my life in the woods. I'm not a biologist, thank God. I'm sure as shit not part of the Ministry of Environment. I don't think I'm stupid enough for that job. Uh, but it, you know, it's it's crazy to think, and like I don't want to be a whatever a big-headed bastard kind of thing, but it all seems like I know a lot more about wildlife than these so-called professionals know. You know, and as a hunter and as a conservationist, we are in a losing battle. And we need to definitely step up to the government or just start governing ourselves. Set your own rules as long as you're within the law. Like what I'm doing with whitetails. If it's not, if he's smaller than a four point, I'm not shooting him. I'm not shooting a doe. I'm just not going to shoot mule deer whatsoever. Because, you know, I got cameras and stuff set up all over the place. Mineral licks, water holes and if I see a mule deer, I get pretty excited. And that's one mule deer. Not a not a herd of them. If I see one or two, I'm like, holy shit. Look at that. There's a mule deer in this country. So, mule deer, off the table for me. Doe whitetail, off the table. Whitetail buck, smaller than four point, not happening. Even if it's like a small frame, like three-year-old whitetail, four points, I'm not going to shoot him. He's too young. Pretty well, what we need to do is either become trophy hunters for the next little while to let the animals repopulate, buy beef for a few years, only hunt predators, or if you're that much of an asshole and you can't go without killing something, man, go to the pet store, buy rats, line them up, shoot them with your 22 or whatever. Like, just quit hunting. For me to tell somebody to quit hunting, it it has to be pretty desperate. But if you're one of those dicks that just goes out, kills whatever you see, just, no. Leave it, leave it to the professionals. Let the real hunters and the real conservationists and the real people that actually give a damn, let them do the job. Okay? You, stay home. Stay out of my woods. Just, whatever. <laughs> Go fishing or something. <laughs> uh, but guys, I think that's uh, I think that's it for this podcast. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, make sure you like and subscribe. Uh, share this. Tell your friends. And uh, yeah, catch you guys on the next one.